0: Welcome to Inside the Director Circle and this episode on dispute resolution and avoiding the legal minefield. I'm Jason Langford Brown, your host, founder of the Director Circle and practicing business advisor and coaching psychologist. In the last episode, we started this topic by focusing on how to resolve a dispute or even a conflict, but what happens if it escalates into what we would technically call a formal dispute and it gets legal? This episode is all about how we navigate that minefield. And to help us with this, as always, we're delighted to welcome one of our knowledge partners from the Directors Circle. Today, that's Alex Bishop, managing partner and national head of dispute resolution at Shoesmiths, one of the UK's leading and award-winning and in my experience, most progressive law firms. And to add a practical element, one of our business leaders all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, Angie Fife, CEO of PDSI, a market-leading property development services firm operating across the US, South America, the Caribbean and beyond. And just very quickly, before we get into the discussion, remember this is just a snapshot of what happens within our business leader community. So if you want to get more involved or get some deeper insights, visit directors-circle.com and click join the community button. So, Alex, we'd have to start with you on this one, as this is all about legals. Um, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking. Probably the place to start is: what do you even do if you if you get a legal a legal letter or some kind of legal approach around a dispute?
1: Uh, don't ignore it. Um, I, I say that flippantly, but um, yeah, again, too many times have clients come to us and thought that you know they didn't need to respond to a legal letter, um, or it would just go away. Uh, ostrich-like because of course they don't want to do it. So no, you you have to take it seriously. Um, Certainly have a read through the letter, understand what the ask is, understand what any deadlines might be in that letter. Uh, There can be, depending on the nature of disputes, legitimately an incredibly short time scale to respond. Sometimes there can be an unreasonably short time scale to respond. But, you know, we we won't know that until we kind of understand the nature of the dispute, um, and then I would say get legal advice. You know, get yeah. that legal advice as soon as you possibly can, and understand where where you are. Any yeah. decent lawyer shouldn't go running off and you know spending huge amounts of time and money. Um, you know, they should give you very clear steer on what the cost might be, what 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 they might what you might need to consider. Um, but you need to get that legal advice.
2: Yeah,
0: it's it's, it's interesting. It's, it sounds like when you owe money, it's like you know, talk to the people who owe money too quickly <laughs> rather than ignore it. Then you're less likely to get in trouble. It's the same same kind of advice. And I think for you, Angie, have you have you in experience um, seen good or bad examples when you have responded quickly or or not in the in the opposite direction?
2: Sure. So if we receive, you know, what you were calling a legal notice, if we are put on notice, it's typically for performance, and it spells out whatever the the dissatisfaction is. So um, two things that we do. One, we do send a copy to our attorney and then we pull together everyone who's been working on the team so that we can get all of the pertinent information and form a response. It's not just one person because one person is never going to know all of the facts. Um, Work on that and then send it to our attorneys to review before we do anything else. Because nine times out of ten, the response is going to be this is good but you need to take x y or z out or you need to reword this and you need to think about what you're saying here um, but you know at the end of the day it's getting all the facts taking your time and really writing out um, writing out exactly our perspective of what is going on and sometimes there are extenuating circumstances that have come into play and people tend to forget those easily so you know that also can be part of our response
0: yeah i think what you've just described Andy, sounds really rigorous to me and I'm, I'm interested if that resonates with alex from a legal perspective but i really like the part of that where you to bring the team together right at the very beginning immediately alex from, from as a lawyer how does how does that sound to you
1: so again there's jurisdictional aspects to to, to this and different jurisdictions will have different considerations so okay. one of the things uh, that uh, as a as an english lawyer um i uh, would be really mindful of in these in these circumstances is making sure that I'm not waiving privilege what's called legal privilege Um, and uh, and equally that I'm not inadvertently creating something that could come back to bite me so when I said earlier about going to get that legal advice that is all wrapped up within that piece because you know if 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 Angie is engaging a lawyer and the lawyer is asking that The team put together their recollection for the lawyer in the UK, that would attract what's called legal privilege. If Angie was doing that with her team um, before even talking to a lawyer, uh, potentially there is a risk that that those those documents are then disclosable. Uh, And again, there's a massive difference in terms of how um, disclosure works in the US and the, and, and the UK. So you, you have to be careful. There's, there's something called litigation privilege that will often help in these scenarios. Um, and, and clearly we're talking about the potential for a dispute here. So that might help as well. So there's the, just those sorts of issues over legal privilege. You can try and make it as secure as it can be. So that, and this is a really, really important point, You know, when you're getting that legal advice, you, know, you need to be, utterly open, transparent, and honest with your own legal team. There is no point telling those lawyers what you think they want to hear um, or being selective in your memory. You know, you need to give them, warts and all, you know, the the good, the bad, and the ugly um, because it will come out eventually and you yeah. don't want it to come out way down the line, hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of legal fees later and a strategy that might be adopted would be fundamentally different had they known that at the outset.
0: Sounds like a good pitfall to avoid, Alex. But I, I was just – just—I just wondering if we ought to just clarify for, for listeners, you know, legal privilege. Um, I think I, I picked it myself from what you were talking about, but could you just clarify that point quickly Yeah, for no,
1: no, really good question. As I say, there, there are jurisdictional differences. So, um, I, I'll speak from a, a sort of English perspective for a moment. Um, so, the concept of legal privilege is a sort of public policy piece. It's it's to enable people to have the freedom to get proper legal advice and to be able to have those open and frank conversations with their lawyer and not have to worry that anything they say could be used against them. <laughs> In that so, if you do, so, if
0: you've done that before you've engaged a lawyer, then actually, it's, that's what you mean. Actually, you'd have to disclose those meetings, those minutes, those documents. Whereas if you've done it with the lawyer, then actually, you can keep them private.
1: Interesting. Correct.
0: Okay. But there may be some differences in the US. In yeah, there
1: are differences in jurisdictions, and, and there's there is a, another limb to legal privilege called litigation privilege, which might be able to help you out if you have okay. done that um, before, before, but you know, and it hasn't come through the lawyers.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
1: And it's it's really important, you know. It it, it bites as well, um, Jason. I know. I, I will just say this because again, I've seen so many of our clients fall foul of this pitfall. Um, you know, there's an issue, you know, a black hole in the accounts, or there's you know, the, the, there's something in terms of you know what the uh, contractual expectation in terms of payments, and the clients will go direct to their accountants or their auditors yeah. and ask them to do the exercise whatever those accountants and auditors do, if the client has engaged them, very high likelihood that all of that information is disclosable.
0: Ooh, okay, yeah.
1: yeah? So, it, it's, if, the lawyers, if the lawyers engage the accountants as, as quasi-experts or once we think that actually it could fall within this litigation privilege argument, um, there is a very high chance that we can protect those, those documents from, from disclosure. disclosure.
0: Put, the, put it, put into my my simple business leader language. Alex, it's almost like it sounds like you need to let your lawyer or your attorney be the puppet master rather than you as the business leader be the puppet master of the dispute.
1: Uh, I, I think, I think, yes. I mean, of course, you work in partnership. You know, it's it's yes, sure, sure. It's, it's it's. But in terms of of those instructions, and equally, yeah apologies to accountants who might be listening in right now. Don't yeah. let the accountants be the puppet masters <laughs> because you could end up in, in in slightly tricky territory.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I think that, that was really useful when you started to talk about pitfalls. So we probably ought to move to that because I think what, you know, in the short time we have, it'll be good to try and sort of uh, uncover as many pitfalls as possible um, that are going to happen in a legal process of dispute. So could you maybe share your sort of top two or three with us?
1: Yeah, some... some uh, um, Really obvious privileges is, is, is one um, that that I've talked about already. Um, I, again, let's go back to that initial letter as well. You know, there may be there may be some aspects of that initial letter that could cause you all sorts of challenges. So, uh, again, you know, in this country we have really tightened up on things like time scales. So if you just ignore something. Or even if a dispute has sort of started, um, there is a set period in which you must file your defence or file certain documents with the courts. And the courts in this country are basically uh, enforcing those timescales really harshly. If if you're going to miss them, you need to ask the court for an extension of time before that deadline expires, not after it. Or your claim could be struck out, your defence could be struck out, judgment could be entered against you. So... Uh, you know, timescales are sacrosanct once it hits a, a kind of court process, and similarly, you know, I mentioned they, you know, if the other side of asks for a response re- reply within twenty eight days or what have you, and you just ignore it, they can then issue proceedings against you potentially, and you know, this 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 issue may never have got to that stage, but because. Proceedings are issued, you then have to pay costs and things of that nature that would follow um, in in this country. Um, And then there are other things, you know, there are there are provisions within the um, English civil procedure that are really attractive as a claimant there's something called part 36 which I won't go into the detail here but if your letter has part 36 on it and it's an offer an offer to uh, to to accept a sum which might be lower than the total value of the of the claim um if you don't accept it there can be really serious consequences for a defendant in that in those circumstances um, you know interest um know, at ten percent above base, it could be interest on the the cost at You know, ten percent above base, um, and it could be a higher proportion of those costs afterwards. So again, you know, you need to you need to know what you need to look out for, and and that's the kind of thing that could be missed.
0: And I think that like, things like that make me think that you know, you, you know, business leaders are not going to know all that stuff. But I think probably the the the, the thing the point there is is if you if you see things you don't understand, it's probably just to find out what it means before you just dismiss it because you don't understand it and think it's not important.
1: Oh Jason that's a, it's a, that's a, absolutely right it's a great point and um, because and this is the other legal pitfall that um, I was going to mention to you. Um, the other thing that we see time and again uh, you know and this is sometimes from really sophisticated clients it's you know th- absolutely the case um is clients thinking that if they say either in a conversation or in a letter that something is without prejudice yeah then that's a kind of get out of jail card that 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 you know that letter can never be disclosed to the court and uh, you know they can't talk about that in court and it's without prejudice um well that's not true
0: so what does it mean what does without prejudice mean
1: so without prejudice. Uh, is in circumstances where someone makes a genuine, genuine offer to settle a dispute uh, or a concession in some way, um, then in those circumstances, that that offer, that concession, can then not be brought in front of a judge uh, as kind of evidence that they're you know liable in. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's that public policy piece of trying to encourage parties to settle their disputes without um, having to resort to the courts and use their time and resources. So there's it's to incentivize people. But you know, you can I've seen letters come in that, you know, have got all sorts of assertions and positions and this, that, and the other. Um but there's no, there's no concession in there or offer to settle in there. So it's not without prejudice. Just because someone has put in bold and capitals at the top of, of a letter, it's without prejudice, doesn't make it so.
0: I mean, you, I mean, nothing I say cannot be used against me. Yeah, <laughs> so, so it's in the context of offers and concessions. That's yeah. interesting. So you, you, you talk, and I think that what you just said there, because I wanted to bring Andy into this conversation as well about about settling. I think some people think once it gets legal, you know, you you know it almost has to follow a process. But you know, I, I think you and I would know that you know you can. There still is the opportunity to settle outside of the legal process, and I suppose we're then into the world of mediation. I wonder if people, when it gets legal. Sort of fearful that it's almost like a sign of weakness now that we're in a formal dispute and did you have a do you have a view on that whether you know offering to mediate even though it's gone legal is a sign of weakness or
2: oh my gosh no that is not a sign of weakness at the end of the day what you both want to do is walk away with the same amount of hurt and pain because it's painful for both parties so you know if you're getting to that point things have gone sideways. The goal is to never get there in the first place. So, um, approaching with the objective of winning is only going to enable your attorney to buy another lake house because it's gonna cost a lot of money. <laughs> I'm so sorry to say that, but it's so <laughs> Think about it in terms of your reputation. I mean, you know, you might've gone sideways, but this still could be a client going forward and so settling could be the best outcome for everyone involved and i think if you take that long-term perspective then then people understand this is why we're doing it or it just it's it's so much easier now if it's completely you know unfounded that's a whole different ball game but hopefully if it's, it's an unfounded claim you don't get to that place
0: and I think you are, you know, in the last podcast and you were talking about, you know, showing some empathy and understanding all the component parts from both sides. There aren't many disputes that there aren't issues on both sides, are they? It's, you know, it's always... I right. there's three stories. There's one person story, the second person story, and the truth somewhere in the middle. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're right. So, Angie, I don't know. Have you actually used formal mediation, or is it something you you do consciously as an organisation, or is it something that's a bit organic? How does it work? How does mediation work for you?
2: Well, fortunately, we've we've not had to get to that point legally. Um, we, as a practice, have had to put some some of our vendors on notice before, and it's a notice of lack of performance, but the goal is always to um, initiate some kind of performance improvement plan. So, you know, we're not doing it out of spite or anything else. There's got to be a goal to motivate for all of us to get to a finish line because ultimately changing a team midway through is going to cost all of us time and money. And we really want to avoid that.
0: Yeah. I love that language of performance improvement. because It's almost like, you know, I'm not I'm not just slapping you with something here. I'm actually saying that we need to go into a process to get this right. So you almost facilitate an mediation in some way there with the language almost.
2: Right. You know, I, I don't know many people who, who want to put someone on notice, sue somebody, just because they have nothing better to do with their time you know there's there's always something in the background so you know it seems to me that both parties if you have reasonable parties are willing to get to that place where you you are mediating and coming to a solution together and um then can work together again down the road
0: yeah yeah yeah. absolutely yeah which would be the perfect outcome absolutely so yeah. pr- provocatively alex you know as a lawyer do you uh, dissuade people from mediation
1: no uh, no I th- in fact quite the contrary i mean look uh and she's absolutely right there are uh, some instances where the court process it, yeah, is the only way you know issues of fraud or if you have to free someone's assets quickly or you need to set a precedent you know, that, yeah uh, of course but and i genuinely mean this it, Absent those cases, I see it almost as a failure if I have to go down the court route, certainly if I end up in a trial environment. Our job is to yeah. try and keep our clients away from that process and, and sort it out. So, you know, again, you know, the Americans are ahead of us, but, you know, we're catching up rapidly here in the UK in terms of our approach to mediation. We're, we're getting very close now here in, in, in uh, certainly in England, to the courts even um, insisting that the parties mediate. Um, okay. and in the there's a consultation just now actually about the smaller value claims that you know the courts are going to diarise a court appointed mediator for those claims so you know i think you know, we need to get far more familiar with the concept of mediation i do still hear some clients who do think it's a sign of weakness i'm completely with angie on this i think it uh, mediation provides a great opportunity for you to continue your relationship and you're far more creative in a mediation environment in looking at solutions than you can through a kind of court process that's more of a sort of zero-sum game. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm fully supportive of, of mediation. Um, and, and actually, you know, it's also important to remember that's not the only form of dispute resolution. You know, Alongside the court process, there are all manner of ways that disputes can be resolved. You know, arbitration is a sort of codified form that very familiar with a lot of parties, particularly relevant with cross-border and international disputes. Um, it, well-trodden path now, you know, you can have adjudication in there. Some really creative dispute escalation provisions that I have seen uh, have included things like executive mini-trials, where the CEO of one, the one company, the CEO of another company, and maybe one or two others Will effectively hear the dispute. You know, there, are, there, are, the parties can agree anything they like in terms of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. potential ways of resolving their, their disputes. Um, and and I, you know, I would say to most most of my clients, you know, there is always something unexpected in the litigation process almost okay. always something unexpected yeah. you know, you've got you've got the risk in terms of you know is the judge had a bad day are they going to take umbrage with one of our witnesses That whatever you know you just that could always happen you know, your witness could say something in the witness stand that no one was expecting that you can't control the other side likewise you know this, almost always there is some drama when you when you're in the court court process so, do you want to take that risk? The mediation yeah. process—you're in complete control.
0: Yeah, you yeah. So
1: slow down the court process if you want to, um, but you are in control of whether or not you're going to agree to, to resolve things.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like get that, get the ego and emotion out of the way, and then get into that settled settlement. Hundred state of mind and mediate. So I think just to finish that piece, Alex, uh, for me, mediation is a skill um, like many things. And so for some that may be a a scary thought, um, you know, any advice on how to either acquire those skills or to find the people that could help them when they get to that stage?
1: There are so many organizations now that offer this mediation uh, service and some fantastic uh, you know, accredited mediators out there that we've used who are incredibly effective and efficient at trying to get the parties in the right place. But you can have training courses. Your lawyers will can help you train you in what a mock mediation might, might look like. So, you, you know what to expect on the day. Um, I think going in with the right mindset is a huge part of that. Um, But, you know, the mediation process, I think, is is just fascinating because there's a whole psychology, you know, we can sometimes get frustrated as lawyers that, you know, nobody actually starts talking to each other until about sort of six, seven o'clock in the evening. Um, But there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. There's the psychology of the mediation process that, you know, people effectively have their mini day in court in the early day part of the day where they get to air their grievance and and what have you. And they get that off their chest and can move on from that you know and 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 then they get to you know forced by a facilitated mediator to consider the other side's position you know and a third party who's not paid a you know a hired gun so there's a lot of psychology at that and even you know the hunger or the tiredness or what have you it helps focus the mind so you know the, the the process of mediation is is um it is a fascinating psychological exercise.
0: No, it is. And, you know, I do conflict resolution myself and you've just kind of made me realise that I think if, we could, if I could give everybody one tip is, you know, be prepared just to let everyone just have a voice and be heard and not, not be interrupted. If you can just go through that process, whether it takes an hour a day or, or even longer, before you can try and solve the problem, I think as human beings, we just want to solve the problem, don't we? But until you get all that stuff out, then... Yeah, the problem's not going away. So I think that would probably be my uh, practical piece of advice to everyone, everyone listening. Listen, guys, thank you, as always, for your words. Or maybe just, just just wrap up with maybe just, you know, top tip for dispute resolution. If you've got to a situation where it's getting a bit legal, maybe maybe start with you, Angie, and then I'll ask Alex, Alex to wrap us up.
2: Oh, well, top tip for dispute resolution. Um, you know, obviously, make your attorney your best friend and <laughs> and go back to the facts. It's just the facts, the contract, and your attorney. You know, those are the rules of engagement. And if we all know them, there's a better outcome.
0: Yeah, and I think that, that, that goes perfectly back to the, the first podcast on this series, which, uh, you know, get it, get it right from the start. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Angie. Alex?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's trying to bring that objectivity into play, which is helped enormously when you uh, focus on the facts um, and not opinion, and not emotion. Um, and so, for me, I guess the the, the follow on from that is that evidential piece it, it is you know think about that through throughout. Think about the evidence. You can prepare your attorneys enormously by helping them, you know, producing bundles of relevant documents. Um, Doing a dramatist, a sort of, you know, who's who, what their role was, what their names are, et cetera, and the timelines. Um, All of those things can help enormously. Don't inadvertently start creating documents that are not going to be helpful um, (laughs) equally. Yeah. Don't start deleting documents because, again, the courts will just draw an adverse inference if that starts to happen or seen to happen. So document hold as soon as you've got a sniff of a dispute. Um, so that think about the evidence uh, and, and that helps you get to the facts
0: great thanks alex thank you both again um, in the next episode we're going to a slight change of subject we're going to be talking about all things change and we're going to be joined by chris mason uh, i should say dr chris mason who has the only uh, statistically proven change success model in the world so that's going to be a really fascinating couple of podcasts coming up in the next few weeks um but in the meantime if you want more on this subject reach out to alex and our team at ShoeSmith. i'm sure we'll be delighted to talk to you about all things dispute resolution or contact us at directors-circle.com in the meantime thank you for listening to inside the director's circle